0: Are you here to celebrate? Are you here to celebrate the best news ever? Like, I think sometimes we hear so much about the good news that we forget it's not just good news, it's not just great news, it is literally the best news ever. And we've heard it. And if you haven't heard it, you're going to hear it today. (laughs) And we're going to be talking about it for the next few weeks because I don't know about you, but I'm tired of bad news, right? Like it just comes at us from all angles these days. In fact, I don't know why they call them the news networks. They should call them the bad news networks. It seems like the vast majority of the news that gets reported is bad. And I remember in a class I took in college, it was called Culture of Fear. And it was making the point that that fear sells, It creates chemical reactions in the brain, and it does things to us that keeps us coming back and keeps us coming back and keeps us coming back. And so I had made the point, well, there should be a good news network. Like, it's only good news. We never report on anything that's bad news. And the professor cynically said nobody would watch it. (laughs) Nobody would watch it. They want to find out where the danger is, where the fear is, where we need to be aware of, and all these other things. And I'm not saying don't listen to the news, but I am saying that we should be countering all the bad news that we are getting with the best news ever. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves on a regular basis because at the international, the national, the local, the personal, even the trivial elements of our lives, bad news can come at us at any moment. You can flip on the station. You can hear about the horrible things that are happening in the world, especially in Ukraine. There's things that are happening on a national level that are concerning. There are things right in our own community that are concerning to us. We all know people who have gotten bad news whether that's health or a relationship or something that a loved one is going through and even on the trivial level there's bad news out there I found out on Friday they changed the green skittles from green apple back to lime I was just half heartbroken over this right? and then I go to social media looking for support and empathy and community and I find out the majority of my friends think this is a good thing this is not a good thing Okay? There was no comparison between green apple and lime. So I am not trivializing and putting those on the same level. But I am telling you, there is bad news and it is coming at us hot and heavy. And we need to spend time focusing on the good news, the best news ever. Because it is alive and well, also. And I am excited to share with you that this Wednesday night in our Kids Way ministry, two children prayed. The prayer of salvation for the first time as a result of hearing the good news, the best news ever. And one of them was so excited to share it with me that he came up and said, I prayed the salvation prayer today. And I was like, amen, brother. We're brothers now, right? And it was just awesome to be a part of that. And then our students had a night of worship in here, and it was amazing to walk in. I was walking into a holy space at the end of that time, and there were still students that were moving through the sanctuary and still responding to God In worship, in powerful ways, in in intangible ways. They went beyond just singing songs to these post-it notes that you see in the back corner there. Take some time before you leave to go and read the sign and read the notes that were written. Or out in the lobby there's a display as students kind of engage their creativity and engage themselves at an emotional level in their worship. And see what God is doing through his people and through this ministry. Don't miss it. So for the next four weeks, today and the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at the gospel, at the good news. That's what that word literally means. You may be aware of this, but there's a Greek word, euangelion. And that Greek word literally means a good message or when it's applied to a person, an angel or a messenger. And if you look closely at the word euangelion, angel is right in the middle of it. And so it's either the message itself, the content of the message that is good, or the messenger itself is good. And so this will take us into Easter, believe it or not. Easter is four weeks from today, so if you have some preparations to make, be aware of that. It's going to be here before you know it. But we are celebrating the best news ever because it is good news, not just for us, not just for certain people at a certain time or in a certain place. It is the best news ever for the whole world forever. And so we have much to celebrate, and you're going to have opportunities to share the good news over these next few weeks leading into Easter, there'll be some events that you can be a part of. We'll be doing our Easter egg hunts as sort of a a community outreach event where you take the Easter egg hunt into your neighborhood and we'll have kits where you can go and put on an Easter egg hunt in a local park or in your backyard, invite some some friends and family maybe over to be a part of that, to take this to the streets because there are some people that will never come here unless we go there. And our mission is to reach people for Christ to give them a place to belong and to help them grow in their faith. And so this one is focused really solidly on that reaching people for Christ and sharing the good news to those who haven't heard it. After that Easter egg hunt, we'll invite, be inviting them as a part of that to our Easter services. And then the week after Easter, we're going to have a picnic where people can come back to church a second week in a row. Maybe they'll just create a habit of it. And we'll have a picnic together and we'll play on the playground and we'll do fun things together here in the spring as the weather gets nice. So pray for good weather. Pray for those invitations that we'll be making. Pray, pray, pray pray. You may have noticed there's a little more of an emphasis on prayer this year, and that's just something I felt the Lord convicting me to. So we did a 24 hours of prayer back in in January. We're going to do another one here uh, in early April, the weekend before Holy Week. We're going to have a 24 hours of prayer, and so you can sign up for that today out in the fellowship hall. I'm sorry, out in the lobby. Um, It's been in the digital bulletin. You can sign up online as well, but this is an opportunity to come and really just pray for God's covering, and pray for people to come and people to hear the best news ever. Then we'll have our Holy Week services with a Monday Thursday service. And our Friday, Good Friday prayer time. There's going to be a ladies brunch. There's all kinds of opportunities to bring people into the church to hear the good news. And so part of the purpose of this series is that even if you've heard it and responded to it in faith, I want to equip you to be able to share it from a number of different angles. So each week, I'll be presenting the gospel as it comes to us and as we understand it through a variety of different angles. And so if you have somebody that you have really wanted to hear the gospel, get them to church over the next four weeks. They'll hear the gospel. But if you have people that that you interact with on a regular basis, you're also going to to get some skills and some, some ability to learn the gospel and to be able to present it in a way that might resonate with somebody That will only hear it from you. That will only hear it if you share it. Because that's when you become the messenger. That's when all of you become angels. Messengers of good news. Bringing the good news to the people that you know. So let's talk about some good news as we get started. Here we go. Christianity is not like other religions. Maybe you know that. Maybe you don't know that. There are a lot of people out there that don't know that. And they think that all religions are basically the same and that Christianity is just one of many religions or many ways to God. Some people are offended by some of the claims of Christianity because they seem very exclusive. And so they say, well, if Christianity is different at all, it's that it's very exclusive. So I don't want to be part of an exclusive relationship. I just want to, you know, worship the God of my choosing in in a way that, that suits me. And that's essentially what religion is. Religion is sort of a do-more, try-harder arrangement where you do certain things in order to appease a god or gods. And so that's what religion is, and Christianity is different than that. You could make the case that Christianity really isn't religion. It's founded on religion. It comes out of a religious system, the, the Jewish traditions and the Jewish faith, the, the first covenant, the old covenant, but there is a new covenant, and that new covenant says it's not so much do more, try harder. It's not so much that you do certain things in order for God to like you and to bless you, which is really an interesting way of just kind of throwing a boomerang, right? So if I'm worshiping a god or gods, and I'm doing certain things, and I'm not doing other things so that they will like me and bless me, who am I really doing those things for? Me. Me. You follow? Christianity says it's already been done. Christianity says Jesus did it for you. When he said on the cross, it is finished, he meant it. So the grace comes to us through faith, not through works, lest anyone should boast. The grace comes to us through what Christ has done For us. And in response to that, that's where we pursue a life of holiness. That's where we join Him in His mission in this world to bring this good news to others. It's not that we do more and more and more so that we get more and more and more. It's that everything has been given to us, that eternity has been given to us, and we respond in faith to what has been done for us so that we can join God in His mission in the world and bring this good news this great news, this best news ever to more and more people. So Christianity at its core is a relationship where God desires deep, deep union with us, that we would be one with him, that we would be in this constant interchange with his love and his grace and his mercy flowing into our lives and out through our lives into the world around us. Because God and Christ, they want a relationship built on love and trust, not a religion based on performance. Jesus even said that there would be many in the last day at the final judgment that would come to him and say, Lord, Lord, did we not? And they would list all the impressive things that they did. And he he said, I'm going to tell them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. I never knew you. We talked about this at length in this third message of the Unexpected series. We called it the worst surprise ever. Because there's going to be a lot of people that are going to point to a resume and say, did I not, did I not, did I not? And Jesus is going to say, I don't know you. And that word that he would have said, the Aramaic word, or the Hebrew word, yada, I never knew you. It's the deepest, most intimate form of knowledge. It's the knowledge that God desires to have with us and for us to have with him, to know him deeply And personally and consistently. And so this week, we're going to focus on the one true God. That's where we're going to sort of be in this foundational message as we'll build upon this. And it's a foundational concept that that you may have heard of the Trinity before. And you may have thought, well, that's just a theological mumbo-jumbo. I don't need to know all about that. Well, it's actually really important. And it's also really unique. And it is so important that we need to spend a whole sermon making sure we understand the Trinity and why the Trinity is a big deal and what that means for us. And it's a great example of the relational element of Christianity and as I just mentioned, it's not found in other religions. This is unique to Christianity. So let's dig in here. We're going to base this whole series out of John 14, verses 1 through 7. John 14, 1 through 7. This will be the launching pad or the springboard for each message. And uh, today we're going to f- read the whole passage, but focus on verses 1 and 7. So in John 14, 1 through 7, if you're in the sanctuary here and you want to grab one of those hardcover pew Bibles, that's page 1675. But at this point in the Gospel of John, Jesus is in the final hours of his life, probably the final 24 hours of his life by this point. And he's just partaken in the Last Supper with the disciples. He washed their feet. He, John focuses a lot of attention on that in John 13. At the end of John 13, Jesus gives them the new command. He's just instituted a new covenant in his blood, which is what we are recipients of, where his blood has paid the penalty for our sin. He's just instituted a new covenant, so he gives them a new command. He says, the new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And that's where we pick up John 14, an extended period of teaching with Jesus and his disciples. Some of the main things that he wanted to make sure they understood before he suffered and died. He says in verse 1, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Well, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So like I mentioned, the primary focus today is going to be on verse 1 and sort of by extension, verse 7. And here's why verse 1 is so important. When Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Nobody had ever said anything like this before. And you might be thinking, well, what's the big deal? Well, why would somebody, a mere human, say, trust in God, trust also in me? If I ever say that, red flags should go up, right? You should go, whoa, we need to talk to an LBA member. We need to figure out what's going on where Pastor Mark thinks he's God. And the reason is, I'm not God. I don't think that comes as a surprise to anybody. But Jesus was. And that's why that is such a significant claim in verse 7 he he fleshes that a little further he says if you really knew me you would know my father as well from now on you do know him and have seen him if you've seen me you've seen God if you know me you know God why because God and I we're one we are not separate entities we are one entity maybe a variety of forms but one entity And Jesus can say that because he is God. He said something similar a few chapters earlier in John chapter 10. Got him in a little bit of trouble with the religious leaders of the day. But in John chapter 10, he's teaching, he's going along, and he's basically saying in verse 27, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Okay, we're tracking with you. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out. Wait a minute, you give them eternal life? Hold on a second. No, he keeps going. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. He states it as clearly and as explicitly as he possibly could. Jesus and God are one. Now, none of the prophets in the Old Testament said anything like this. Neither did Muhammad or Buddha or Confucius or any of the other leaders of other world religions. This is unique to Jesus. Only Jesus said this. And it differentiates him from all the other religious systems and all the other religious leaders and founders of religious leaders. Now, there's a few cult leaders out there that have said something similar, but it wasn't true. They weren't actually God. So that's where the differentiation is made. And C.S. Lewis highlights the importance of this in a quote you may have heard before, or maybe you've heard the summary, the liar, lunatic, or lord concept, but here's what C.S. Lewis says, and this is from Mere Christianity, which is a wonderful book. He says, I'm trying to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't ex- accept his claim to be God. How many of you have heard something like that stated at some point in time? I see some hands going up, some nods, some head shaking. It's not just pastors that hear this. And as you share your faith and try to explain to people the best news ever, you might hear this. But C.S. Lewis says that is the one thing we must not say. Why? Because a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He made claims that would not hold up if he were not who he said he was. He would either be a lunatic on the level of the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Do you understand the argument that's being made? Because Jesus said, I and God are one. I am God. I give eternal life. You can't just relegate him to the category of a great moral teacher and say, oh, I'll take some of his advice on how to live and have better relationships and forget the rest because of all the other things he said. And he's not a great moral teacher if those things are not true. That would be immoral. He would have been a liar or he's a lunatic or he is Lord and God. And I, for one, believe that he is Lord and God. And I believe many of you have come to that conclusion as well. But there are a lot of people out there that think it's fine to just sort of say, yeah, he's a good teacher. I'll read the Sermon on the Mount every now and then, try to do one or two of those things. And that is not what he left to us. He left so much more. And as my New Testament professor said, the first day of New Testament 1, where we were focused on the gospel, we said we are focusing on the gospels and more importantly, we're focusing on Jesus. Because if you get Jesus wrong, you get everything wrong. If you get Jesus wrong, you get everything wrong. And if you get everything else right and you get Jesus wrong, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for eternity. So that's why this matters so much. So Jesus and God are one. You aren't following somebody who was merely human, Jesus is and was divine. He did exactly what he said he would do. He was truly human, truly divine. And so John three sixteen, that great passage that so many of you have memorized and so many people have put on their wall or have put in important places where they would see it on a regular basis, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. See, Jesus was very unique. He was God's only begotten son. There's a big difference between begetting And creating. God created all this stuff, but He begot Jesus. Because to beget means to beget of the same kind. So I've created all kinds of wonderful things. I've made a lot of cool stuff. I've made a chess set. I've created a lot of sermons. I've created a lot of articles and devotionals and things like that. But I have only begotten four things I've only begotten Keaton, Ryan, Owen, and Carson. They are unique. And Jesus is unique, He's the only begotten Son of God, because what God begets is God. But it doesn't stop there, does it? I mentioned earlier we're talking about the Trinity, not the binary, right? It's the Trinity, it's not the binary, it's not just Jesus and God. There's a third member to the Trinity, there's a third part to the Trinity, and that is good news also. That third part is the Holy Spirit. And tragically, the Holy Spirit has been very neglected over the last couple hundred years. Almost to the point where a lot of people would sort of see the Holy Spirit as a second class member of the Trinity. Like, there's Jesus and God, and then there's the Holy Spirit. And nothing could be further from the truth. The Holy Spirit has been there from the beginning. Some people have this mistaken idea that the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost and that's when the Holy Spirit really comes on the scene. But if you open your Bible and you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 and you read the second verse of Scripture, it says that the Spirit of God was moving over the waters. That the Spirit of God was moving over the waters. That God's Spirit was already there. God's Spirit was not created. God's Spirit was part of the Trinity through which all things were created. So the Spirit was there from the beginning, and the Holy Spirit is the part of the Trinity that's now inside of us. That it was poured out on the day of Pentecost, just a few weeks after Jesus died and was resurrected and then ascended. The Holy Spirit came, and the Holy Spirit is the part of God that now is inside us as believers. That it abides in us. The Holy Spirit abides in us and gives us power and bears fruit in our lives, that it reproduces spiritual blessing in and through our lives. I talked a lot about the Holy Spirit in a series that I did a couple of years ago called Supernatural. Some of you were here, some of you are new to the church, and you weren't here for Supernatural. If you would like a refresher course on the Holy Spirit and why the Holy Spirit is so important, I would encourage you to go to our website, go to 2019, and click on the Supernatural series and listen to that again. You'll learn a lot. It's, it's about... It's all mostly based out of John 14, 15, and 16. So that's where Jesus teaches his disciples about the Holy Spirit. Some of the last things he said, if you, if you knew you were 24 hours to go, you would only say things that were really important. And Jesus spent the majority of his time with his disciples teaching them about the Holy Spirit. And so it's very important that we understand that the Trinity is not three gods. The Trinity is one God. So, when God said through Moses in Deuteronomy 6 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, He's saying it's not multiple gods. This Christianity and Judaism are not, are not polytheistic religions, they're not religions with multiple or many gods. There is one God that comes to us in three different persons. And so there was some question about this in the early church, like, is this heresy? Are they talking about three different gods, a Father God, a Son God, and a Holy Spirit God? What's that all about? And so uh, teachers and, and, and theologians helped people to understand it based on Scripture, that it's three persons but one substance. And so there's an image that I shared in the Supernatural series that I wanted to pull out and put before you again. It helps us understand that The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, each one is God. You see those lines going into the middle, that they're all God. But the Father is not the Son, and the Father is not the Holy Spirit. Likewise, the Holy Spirit is not the Father or the Son, and the Son is not the Father or the Holy Spirit. They have uniquenesses, but they are all essentially God. In their essence, they are God. They are divine. Just this week, I I saw a quote from St. Patrick. It was on St. Patrick's Day. Happy St. Patrick's Day, by the way, a few days late. Hopefully, you wore your green, and you didn't get pinched too much. But St. Patrick wasn't just a happy little leprechaun. He was a missionary. He went to the island of Ireland, and he started one of the greatest gospel movements, disciple-making movements of all time. And he said this quote, and it resonates with what we're talking about here Christ beside me Christ before me Christ behind me Christ within me Christ beneath me Christ above me and I like to think of the Trinity surrounding us in this relationship this eternal relationship of divine love with the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit and they surround us and they go before us and they stand behind us and the Holy Spirit is within us and they are above us and they are beneath us and they are beside us because they want us to experience that divine love that they have been experiencing for eternity and will experience for eternity. And so it's interesting, you may have already done this, if you're like, I wonder where the Bible talks about the Trinity. And you went to your concordance and you looked at the T's and you went all the way through the TR's and then, a wait a minute, Trinity's not in the Bible, but it is. The word Trinity is not, but it is a very biblical concept. In fact, there are numerous scriptures, even single verses, that contain the Trinity in a single verse, something like Matthew 28, verse 19, where Jesus says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that they are one and that we baptize people in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians thirteen fourteen. Paul closes this great letter by saying, May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that's the Son, and the love of God, that's God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. One verse. Galatians 4, 6, Because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. We're invited into that. We're invited to call our God Father, which means Jesus is like that perfect older brother, not the older brother in the story of the prodigal son that's mad that the father has brought him back. No, Jesus is that perfect one that joins the celebration, that goes and finds us in our sin, in our misery, and brings us to the Father. That's the picture of Jesus. That's the picture of the gospel. That's the best news ever. And there are many other passages, longer passages, that deal with this more completely. But my favorite is Titus 3, 3 through 7. This is where Paul is writing to Titus, who was a a co-laborer with Paul in the ministry that he was doing, sort of the second half of Paul's ministry. Titus is a major player in that. And he writes this letter to Titus. And he says to Titus in that letter, At one time, we too were foolish. Disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. That's why there's so much bad news, right? That's why you turn on the TV and you hear about horrible people doing horrible things to each other. Because that's true. What Paul is saying is true, and it hasn't gotten better in the last 2,000 years. But that's not the whole verse. That's not the whole passage. Fortunately, there's good news that follows that. He says in verse 4, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done. Not because of our religion. But because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life do you see it that's the gospel we made a mess of it we made a wreck of it but God sent his son for us for each of us so that we could have hope that's the gospel that's the best news ever and it's the best news ever for everybody everywhere so we have a part to play in this here's our bottom line it comes in two parts, really. The first bottom line is that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one. Hopefully I've made that point very clear today. Here's the second part. They want you to be one with them. God the Father, Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit, they are one, and they want you to be one with them. They want you to join them in their eternal community of divine love and to join them in their mission to bring as many people to the faith as possible, to bring as many people into the relationship as possible. They've made a way for you to come back and to be with them for eternity. It involves trust. It involves surrender. We have to surrender ourselves. We have to be willing to die to ourselves, to die to ourselves so that we can have new life and eternal life in Christ. There'll be more on that in the weeks to come, but for today, you need to understand that God is one. God the Father, Holy Spirit, the Son, they are one, and they want you to be one with them, and that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. If you're hearing this today, maybe you're hearing this for the first time, and you want to respond in faith to that good news, you can do that. You can pray a prayer that confesses your sin before God that invites him to come into your life, that accepts his forgiveness and empowers you to live a holy life. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, today, we lift up those who maybe are hearing this or who will hear this for the first time, even if they've heard it audibly, but they haven't understood it, they haven't received it, they haven't embraced it. May today be the day of salvation. May today be the day where somebody, maybe multiple people, respond in faith to this good news, this best news ever. May they confess their sin to you, invite your love and forgiveness into their life, and ask you to transform them. Make them more like your son, Jesus. And for those of us who have heard this before, for those of us who have responded in faith to this before, may we truly embrace anew the good news that you have invited us into your mission in this world. And may we be very intentional about sharing the best news ever.